Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. As you have declared, so will be your experience. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Alright, let's take our seats. As you are doing that, greet somebody on your left or your right. Tell the person, wisdom, divine wisdom has been given to you. Tell somebody, you're not talking to, you're saying the one you like. I said, tell somebody, divine wisdom has been given to you. Uh-huh. That is your portion. In the name of Jesus Christ. Alright, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. We have been speaking about the culture of faith, and I would like us to continue. We have so many things to say about that. Uh, let's just continue today. We took um, a few days to speak about uh, the culture, the Christian culture in marriage. Last time we explained that even what we, how we dress, which is a reflection of what is going on inside our hearts, even in that area, he has his will. So it's not as, there's nothing about our lives that doesn't um, that God is not concerned about. Even when you wake up, the Lord is concerned about it. When you go to sleep, or you just that different things have different weights. And Jesus talked about the law. There are matters of the law that have that are weightier, and there are matters of the law that are not as weighty. That's just the way it is. So it's just that things have different weights, and as Christians, we must be careful not to emphasize on things that are not too weighty. And then they emphasize things that are weighty. You know, when the, <laughs> the thing has died down now, when the, um, the controversy started by that the freeze was going on on the tithing matter, you know, people always, you know, human beings are interesting. They, at the end of the day, they made up their minds what they want to do anyway. So when I want to speak, I'm careful about things like that, not to generate unnecessary controversy. When I needed to speak on that on radio, I was being interviewed of course, where I went is, listen, someone said, hey, let's see, does the Bible say, is that the freeze right? Or the other fellow, you know, if you know something about Jesus, he hardly used to tell them who's right. <laughs> Why? Because it's, once the spirit is wrong, nobody can be right. Are you getting my point? Yeah, that's a matter of fact. Once the spirit is wrong, nobody can be right. The king, should we pay taxes to Caesar? He looked at them. What they wanted was what? Yes or no. He said, give me a coin. At the end of the day, they were not even sure what he said, really. <laughs> <laughs> the most important thing is that if the spirit is wrong, nobody can be right. Anytime Jesus will be speaking, that's what he will be trying to address. And that's the one I wanted to speak also. When I was speaking on the subject, I had to go for the spirit, not the practice. But what I'm talking about is, is that I emphasize to people, no matter what you say, is not a weighty matter. It's not a weighty matter. If you like have 500 scriptures to prove to me, Christians are, not, are supposed to tithe. It's not a weighty matter. It's an unimportant thing. It's one of those trivial things that... And that's why you read from... The, throughout the church, it was not, that word was not used once. Not one time like this. They didn't talk about it. So I tell Christians there, say, okay, even if, it is, even if what you are saying is right, it cannot be an important matter. Ah, 
Peter spoke, he didn't say anything. Paul spoke, he didn't say anything. James spoke, he didn't say anything. And they were asking that, did Jesus speak about it? Ha. Jesus said, it was, when he was talking about it, it was a matter of the law. <laughs> Are you getting my point? And then there's one in Hebrews chapter 7. That was not even New Testament talk. That was a historical talk. It was given an account of something that happened long ago. So, I'm not here, you know, that day I said, look guys, we can all agree on one thing. It's not important. The way you like to give to your church is to regularly calculate 10% as a debt you owe to God. Have fun. We'll still be a member of the same church. But don't tell me that if I am not doing it, then I will not prosper. Or not carry to the extreme some people did that you are going to hell. That one is a lie. Totally untrue. So sometimes in life we have to be careful to relegate things to where Jesus relegated them. Are you getting my point? So, when I talk about things like that, how should Christians dress? Again, I say, look, let's look at the spirit. The spirit has to be right. Every time you stand up, every time you appear, you are representing somebody. And that's what Paul tried to explain there when he was talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The woman, he said, is the glory of her husband. He was speaking specifically, actually, with, about um, wives, all right? Specifically, all right? You have to try and read the, the word woman, man, in Greek, the same thing as husband, wife, husband, all right? So you have to read in context to know the one they are dealing with. So it was talking about people being under authority. Now, the point I'm trying to make is that he explained that somebody is a glory of another person. So when you come out as a human being, there's a general principle there. You are representing something. When you say you are the glory, it means that you are the physical representation of somebody we cannot see. Do you follow my point? That if a child behaves somehow, somewhere, People will look and say, who's the father? Who's the mother? I mean, at the age of uh, five, at the age of six, ten, eleven, twelve, I mean, even fifteen, as a teenager, people are looking and like, you, are, you are what your parents made you to be. So whichever way you behave, you are reflecting where you came out of. So people start wondering, whose son is that? Whose daughter is that? Why? You are the glory of somebody. And we must bear that in mind. As believers, we are God's glory. We carry his glory. We reflect something about him. So anytime we want to do something, we ask ourselves, what exactly am I trying to do? Before I go out, I look at myself in the mirror. What am I saying? What am I saying by my appearance about the Lord Jesus Christ? And there are extremes on both sides. There are extremes on both sides. All right? So that's just the spirit we tried to address last time. Now let me just remind us again why we are doing this. Listen, our blessings are in the realm of the spirit. The real and most important things are spiritual. They are really in our hearts. Are you getting my point? But if they are real, there are two sides to this thing. If they are real, that's number one, they will manifest outwardly. Number two, if God wants to release something that he has kept in the realm of the spirit, the outward things also must be set in place. Otherwise, those things will not flow. God's blessings, all right, they need the outward arrangement of behavior pattern, our lifestyle, the way we talk, the way we relate with people for those blessings to be released. Let me say this again. Many times when people want to argue over what God said is good or what God says is wrong, they try to bring it into a context that is wrong. Let me explain what I'm going to say here now. There are many problems in this society which the society is trying to solve, which God did not make any provision for the solution in the context in which we have created it. 
let me explain what I'm going to say. If you go and read um, the way God dealt with Israel, you will see it was impossible really to have an orphan. You understand? It was impossible really to have somebody who somebody, there's nobody else responsible for the human being. You understand? That is, if the fellow was a true Israelite, you would have had to come from a family. You understand? If a woman was fully dependent on her husband and the man died, he made arrangements for who would take over taking care of her. Even the names of the children that she would be after. Arrangements were made in that context. But what you find in modern days is that we create our own standards and then in the midst of it, we Christians trying to live in the midst of that standard, hmm? We now find his commandments difficult to execute. Now, what I mean by finding his commandments difficult to execute, let me give you a very simple example. Now, some of them are issues of faith, but now, even though they are issues of faith, you will see God actually made some arrangements to make those things easy to walk by. Let me give an example. When Jesus will come and say, don't worry about tomorrow. What you shall drink, what you shall eat. That is a good commandment that is executed by faith. Now, but if you look historically at how he arranged their societies, There was even no need. What do I mean? I'll give a simple example. Children are the heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And blessed is the one that has what? A quiverful. So you know what we do? We say children are a burden of the Lord. Are you getting my point? And they are an assignment that's difficult to carry. And blessed is the one that has as few as possible. Do you get my point? We believe that we hold on to that truth. And then we'll sit down and take time to teach how to plan for retirement. Are you seeing the disconnect? You say, ah, what are you talking about? I'll tell you. If a man, if a couple, if they had six children, seven, eight, nine, you see what you are saying, hmm. why do you say hmm? You see, this worldliness, we have to cure it. That's actually what I'm getting out. Why are you, why, what is hmm? What is this worldliness? What is wrong with it? Let, let me go what I'm, what I'm going to explain. Instead of giving your money to stand big I, IBTC, GT, what's the, what's the insurance, what is the, <laughs> what's the investment, investment side of GT? Eh? Not master, master the insurance. The one that plans your life for you in, in case God fails, you know? <laughs> okay. There are many of them. You know, first, first, um, First guarantee, you know, there are all kinds of things. Instead of giving your money to them, look at this kind of scenario. If you pump that money that they say save for tomorrow, pay school fees today, educate six, seven children properly, if they, and they learn to honor parents, do you need retirement money? Whether they owe pension, they don't owe pension, my mother doesn't care. If you tell her it's your retirement savings account paying, she doesn't give you a hoot. Your retirement money doesn't be, that's your problem. My children are paying. But you see, are you getting my point here? What we do is that we create a culture different from the one that God put in place. They're in trying to survive in our worldly culture, we find the instructions of God difficult to comply with. It's one of the major things that we believers must understand. That's why sometimes when the Lord will say some things, it's difficult for us to wrap our heads around it. Let me say something to you about the word of God. The word of God is very correct. Taking literally what God says is true. You know, many of the things, sometimes I look at the scientific world, they're always coming out with advancements. You know, a friend of mine said he watched, you know, it was a movie, of course, but just to tell you the kind of, I didn't see the movie, he just told me about it. 
years ago. Now, there was a, it's like science fiction. A young lady was frozen. You know the way it is? Just put you in stasis. So she was frozen and then thawed out maybe 200 years later. It's a movie, you know, science fiction. Okay? So in 200 years that she was gone, she was in limbo, in suspension. The world had changed. So when she came out, she, it was a new world, and she was trying to adapt to it. So one day, one guy took her out somewhere to a restaurant to go and eat or something. So he was trying to be nice to her. So he said, he ordered a drink for her. I said, this drink is very nice, that you will like it. That is very, now listen to this. It's very refreshing, all right? Quenches your thirst, has a very nice feeling in your mouth, is low in sugar, does not contain additives. You get what I'm saying? It's not fattening. By the time she, he finished, the lady said, it said, contains no caffeine. So by the time he finished, the lady said, in our days, we used to call it water. <laughs> Did you get the gist? Yes. This was a, an expensive drink he just ordered. By the time he finished describing it, the lady couldn't understand what it is. This is what water is now. It's refreshing, quenches your thirst, feels good in the mouth, is low in sugar, doesn't contain caffeine, is non-fattening. Is that not water? But you know what happened? The generations of men, they took water, added this to it, added this to it. After adding things for generations, they now said, no, caffeine is not good. Start pulling out bit by bit. Start pulling it out. Pulling, instead of just throwing away the whole drink and getting another glass of water, they started pulling and they compounding new drinks. And I said, low sugar, low caffeine, no cholesterol. Non-fattening, non-this. Give me a glass of water. This is what water used to be. What am I going to explain here? See, that is what happens. The world creates a complicated culture. They set up a lot of, you know, goals and standards and problems for us to solve. Then if you now come and say, God said, don't worry about tomorrow. They show you why tomorrow needs to be worried about. They show you the problems of tomorrow. Why you need to worry about tomorrow. Forgetting that they created the problems of tomorrow. What am I saying? We have a duty as believers to introduce in our daily lives the culture of God. It's actually good for us. It's actually good for us. We took the marriage one as an example. God is the only... Forget, listen. There's no religion I am aware of. Even before, you know, Christian, that even amongst in Judaism, they didn't even understand it like that. Is Christianity, is Christ that came out and showed us clearly through the words of Paul and Peter that the man and the woman, they are equal. Islam doesn't believe in that. Islam even gives you a proportion. I'm telling you, they have, they have different kinds of proportion. But Christianity tells you they are the same. They are equal. But then he said, no house is run on democracy. Equality or no equality, there's got to be a boss. It's one person that I will hold accountable. Adam, where are you? Not Adam and Eve. Where are you people? <laughs> are you getting my point? I am going to hold you, one person, responsible. I am going to hold one person accountable. So he says to, her, to the person that's equal and his partner, and says, so what you will do is that you will submit. I said something the other time, that submission only makes sense when there's equality. If there was no equality, it's not submission. It's knowing your place in life. <laughs> Do you follow my point? Yes. The entire class and my students are coming. 
you're not submitting when you're listening to me. What else are you planning to do? You want me to make you an example? <laughs> you get what I'm going to say. That's not submission. Submission is that I'm an engineer, well-trained. I walk into a doctor's clinic. He's not senior to me. I'm probably older than him. I probably have more degrees after my name than he has. But then I recognize that at this particular point in time, I have to drop everything I thought I had if it's going to be of help to me. So if he says, stop eating this amount of salt, I submit to that. That's how he will be a blessing. That's how he will be a blessing. A woman in the house, therefore, has a duty to activate the anointing upon her husband. The word husband is an office. It's not a profession. Are you getting my point? It's not, you're not born a husband. You are elected and put inside that office, husband. So it has an anointing that goes with it. Anytime God appoints you, he equips you with an anointing. Anointings can go down. Anointings can become strong. Many times, men forsake. You know what happens is that when you have something, you don't exercise it, which also happened to Timothy. They laid hands on Timothy, imparted a special grace on Timothy. Timothy did not use it. So Paul had to write Timothy, he says, stir up the gift of God that is in you. You understand my point? So you can have a gift of God and not stir it up. And many men don't stir it up. The wife will say, what should we do? He say, whatever you like. Your anointing is going down. You want to make a decision in the house. Don't worry, don't worry me about it. Your anointing is going down. Your wife is being stubborn. You two, you decide, okay, leave, if you like it like that. Your anointing is going down. After a while, you know what's going to happen? Satan is interested. God has allowed him that one. He will start arranging things to show that you don't know what you are saying. After about five, ten experiences, your wife will have a guaranteed list of references to show that you are senseless. After that, she has no reason to listen to you anymore. That was how I told him the other day. When we were coming from Lagos and going to uh, Abekuta, I said we should go to the right, left side of the road. He said on the, on the right side, our tires picked nails. We were stranded because we didn't have a spare. The other time we said, let us book Eric. He said, let's book Arrow. Arrow canceled the flight. We were stranded. The other time we said, we should, that the whole story goes start. Just know Satan has taken hold of you. Why is that having references for not listening to your husband anymore? <laughs> Why? Because the man allowed his anointing to win. He's supposed to stir up his anointing. Stir up the gift of God that is in him. How do you do that? Simple. You pray. And you start exercising your gift. You get my point? A decision needs to be made. You hear all the facts. It's okay, let me decide. Give me like an hour. And you really literally pray and think. Knowing that the box stops here. And then the wife also understands that she has to stir up the help. I mean, it's for your own blessing. You don't sit down with the children behind and say that, you know your whole father. One day I told my wife, you know, that it was a joke, you know. I said, don't say it anymore. You know, my wife likes life, you know. My wife kind of like that. One day, when we first met that time, I told her that I hardly ever gone to the beach in Lagos. I'm like, are you for real? You live in Lagos? What am I looking for in the beach? Did I throw something in the water? Am I, am I, are you getting my point? I'm not. It, the, day my, the only time I went to the beach in Lagos before I married. The only time. The only time. I lived in Lagos from 93 to the year 2000. The only time. I married in 99. The only time from 93 to the year 2000 I went to the beach. It was a friend of mine that came and dragged me out of my house. You are always here. What, today is a public holiday. Come, let's go somewhere. 
So finally, he dragged me to one of the beaches on the road to ba- on the way to Badagri. Uh, were four or so. As soon as the other three of them went towards the beach, I looked for a shed, brought out my red New American Standard Bible, and started reading. I sat there under a shed there and read my. When they were ready to go, we went, <laughs> went back to the car. So I don't know. Does that count for going to the beach? We just parked, we walked over there. It was his car. We walked over there. So after they walked up and I just looked at the guys. I just saw a place where somebody had made a shed. I went and sat under it. I came with my Bible. Maybe they don't know. I came with my Bible. I said, I was reading. I read the Bible. I just, when they were done running up and inside the water, they came back. Can we go now? <laughs> so when my wife came and she found that, say, like, did God make somebody like you really? You sure? No, she's that kind of person, all right? I'm the other type, you know? Now, but then, so for that reason, you, when something comes about, she now say, ah, you know, my husband, you know, you know you're a dry man. It sounds like a joke. So if we have to decide on something, she will remind me that you know you're a dry man. So after a while, one day I started, I said, baby, let me give you the word of the Lord. Don't ever, jokingly, again, after today, say from your mouth or think in your heart, you know, the meditation of your heart, I said, don't even think it in your heart that I am a dry man. I said, do you know why? Because by doing that, you are building what they call a stronghold inside your heart. It starts as a joke. Okay? Then the day I will make a decision that is crucial, your heart will discard it, saying this decision is made because he's dry. If it was a wet man, he would know better. So your heart will reject it. Are you getting my point? So we sat there, and that was quite a while ago. So that was the last time my wife ever said it, and I believe ever thought it, that you know my husband is a dry man. I said, whether I'm dry or wet, the Lord knew the dryness of my soul and realized that it is needed for your prosperity. Yeah, it's true. If you know how God plans, he plans very, very well. I said, so respect the unction, respect the anointing. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's an anointing. It's an anointing. It's not personal wisdom. It's an anointing. You must recognize it as a person. Activate it. Activate it. You must activate it. You, the husband, activate it. You, the wife, activate it. Don't sit down with your children and conspire against authority. It's iniquity. It's a subtle form of witchcraft. Because what you are doing is that you are removing the prophetic unction. You are, you are hindering the power of God to speak through him into your life. So after a while, if you continue like that, what will happen is after some time, you will really find reasons never to listen to him again. What you will not notice is that the first five years of your life, of your married life, between you and him, through his own negligence and through your own strength of heart. Listen, let me tell you, when you would the word submit, ha, it's work. Submit means I know I'm strong, but I will not use my strength. So you will know that through this, your strength of heart and his own negligence, you took five years to remove the anointing of God. Then when Ika has boarded, you know what they call Ichabod. So that's how I say it. When the glory has departed, you now start living a gloryless life. Yet you have good reasons to sustain it. Why? Because it never makes sense. He never says what is right. Experience will show. Remember, actually what happened was that five years you took, exercise yourself in ungodliness. That's what you were doing. Don't ever forget it. In life, listen. God, when he has given us something, he says, guard it and keep it. 
He made the garden, beautiful place. Put the man in there and told him, what's your duty? Watch over it, guard it, tend it, keep it. When you don't, Satan will come in. Speak wrong words to somebody inside there. Entice you, then you lose the whole garden. And then when you are out of the garden, somebody will now start talking nonsense. That this earth came out of nowhere. If there is a God, why is everything a mess? But you, because you lost the garden. If you had stayed where the Lord kept you, you won't be talking like this. When people have lost their garden, they will now start criticizing the place where they are living in. When they've taken five years to walk out of the garden of marriage that God put them inside. After that, frustration, they will start complaining. That's why anytime God gives you something, you are supposed to work on it. Look, God gave it does not mean automatically it will succeed. You know, when, when people want to talk about it, the Garden of Eden was a good place, Adam was just swinging like a jungle. What's the name of that jungle man? Tarzan, judge of the jungle, moving from tree to tree, eating fruits, nonsense. That's not what happened. He told him, guard the place, keep it. If you don't like the tree that's going there, remove it, rearrange it, block a flow of water, make sure things work. You will grow to a particular point. Your children will expand. The garden will have to increase. You will plant more gardens. I have planted the first garden. How many people will this garden take? By the time you guys hit 500 million, you, couldn't, you won't be able to stay in this particular garden. Or maybe 5 million. You will have, you, by that time, you will have learned the technology of expansion of gardens. You will move somewhere else and plant another garden. Then how do you communicate between this garden and the other garden? Then you will settle down and I will give you the wisdom and the technology to invent telephone, the telephones. Don't think all of these things came because, um, you know, <laughs> Imam is became wise in himself. No. These are the things that God proposed from the beginning. So the Garden of Eden was not a place just to be hanging from tree to tree. It was not a place where you just be harvesting trees and eating. It was a place of work. It was a place of responsibility. And when they did not do the work, and when they did not keep it, as they have been instructed, they lost it. Listen to me, many times in life, that's what happens. God gives us something good. We throw it away. Ah, it's very, very serious. This, every day I see people throwing away good things. They, they people throw things away a lot. And they don't just throw it away because they want to throw it away. They throw it away because somebody comes to entice them. And his name is Satan. They're still working till today. There are times I see people make certain decisions concerning their lives. I say, how can you make this kind of decision? God placed you in a place of influence, the place of, you know, in where your life counts, where you can be a blessing to people. And then suddenly you want to change the environment to where people will just give you extra food to eat, a better house. A better car. Until you are made. And when you ask the person, say, you know, when you're going to get there, you know, the, 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 the telephone works, internet is fast, the roads are good. Blood in an entity is talking. Nobody listens to you anymore. If you die, they'll bury you like another statistic. Nobody cares. And you think you have prospered. How do you define prosperity? Makes me laugh. When I see define prosperity, something I just laugh. I laugh. How do you define prosperity? But that's how Satan does it. Satan comes and speaks to people. Has God really said? Then they lose what God told them to keep. They lose it. What I'm telling you is a matter of fact. The things that God ordained, they are good for us. We have a duty to keep it. And I'm saying to Christians these days, you have a duty to recover it. We've lost a lot. The world has taught us too many things. Sometimes when they tell us how to plan for tomorrow, <laughs> Jesus will just say that this boy does not read anything I've said. This guy doesn't listen to me at all. Give them five days seminar. And you see, pastors now organize it. How to plan your tomorrow so that you have enough money for your children to go to a good school. And God will be looking and say, Kai, stupid boy. He didn't know that by the time these children will be old enough, I will make sure education is free everywhere. 
But how will he know? He's not listening to me. And I don't have the duty to persuade him. I give instructions. Relax. My wife and I were talking this afternoon. I said, for me, one the greatest thing, because godliness is something you exercise yourself onto. I said, one of the greatest things I need to exercise myself onto concerning myself, my wife, my children, everybody, kingdom, world ministries, is just relax. God has taken charge of tomorrow. There's a difference between carelessness and a man of faith. How do you know the fellow of faith? Check how he's handling the matters of today. A careless person is careless about today's matter. And you tell that tomorrow God will take care of it. He's lying. He's lazy. He's irresponsible. But a man of faith, a woman of faith, how do you know this is a matter of faith? He's not concerned about tomorrow, but look at what he's doing about today. If he walks in an office, everybody will be there by 8 o'clock. He's there, 745. The boss knows that whatever I put in his hand, whatever I put in his hands, will be well done. That's how you know somebody who's actually walking by faith. That's the way to differentiate between the, between the layabout, irresponsible person and the fellow who's walking by faith. Both of them won't worry about tomorrow. Some people don't have the capacity to worry about tomorrow. That's not the reason why they're not worried about it. You're getting my point? That it just, they, don't have, they don't have the capacity. But some, they have the capacity, but they submitted to God. I can plan also. I can do all those things, but I'm forbidden to carry that weight of what will happen to my children in 30 years' time today. Like somebody said, uh, build a house, now your children won't have to pay rent. That is the most stupid thing an adult. In fact, you need to be blind. You've not seen the environment. But by the time the time to <laughs> the house you build today for your children tomorrow, they will look at it and say, Kai, nah, me sleep live in this kind of house. If God wants to do a strong thing, no will do. He will bless one of your children very well. He will demolish that house while you watch. And build another one in his place. You will not know that your effort of that time was a waste of time. But the fellow who God is going to take care of his tomorrow, of her tomorrow, how do you know the fellow is really walking by faith? There's no problem. See what he or she is doing about the work of today. The fellow is a student, the first to get to class. The type of person that they will want to make class captain. You don't have to be a class captain. I'm just saying the type of person they will want to make. Very responsible. Every assignment, she does it. Very responsible. Lectures there regularly. Test is coming, reads properly. If such a person tells you that, look, I'm not worried about tomorrow, you have to believe. It's faith that's keeping the fellow from worrying about tomorrow. There's a story I've told you many times. <laughs> One guy when we were in school. Go to class, he won't go. I want to see his colleagues, his, 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 the other students coming from class, he'll be laughing. <laughs> Say, you people are relying on the arm of flesh. How was he planning to pass? He was going to declare A. Declare A+. plus. A plus plus plus. I speak it to be, I call it unto the board in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what he used to call faith. And that this is my, he wrote a book, Casey Price. Faith, foolishness, or presumption. That's pure foolishness. His classmates are going to class, he's sleeping. But then they've dressed and they are rushing to get the first seat. You know, the way it is, class can be overcrowded. We often have that in Nigeria uh, government school, uh, universities. He's still sleeping. Boys have dry, you know, they've carried their back to move out. He's turning like a door on the swing, on the, on the swinges. Swing to the left, to the right. When they come back, he will laugh at them. You people are relying on the arm of flesh. That was not faith. That was foolishness. Of course, do I need to tell you that his own arm, that whatever he was lying on, failed him? 
his friends were not relying on the arm of flesh. They were doing the duty of the day. Sufficient unto the day is the, let me use the expression, duty thereof. If you're a student, you're supposed to be in class. It's not about passing, it's about learning. It is not first about passing, it's about learning. So your quest should be to learn. You get your curriculum. Sit down on it, learn. The lecturer doesn't get there, you read it by yourself. You're an adult, you're in a university. You learn. That fellow is being responsible. That's how you know the person that's not worried about tomorrow. If you don't see the fellow, what are you going to do after school? I don't know yet. Ah, won't you plan now? Oh boy, <laughs> um, this is my, I still have one final year. Look, next year is still day. Law school is still day. NYS is still day. Why are you worrying me today? Are you getting my point? That, that's the person that's not worried. But this one, I'm in my fourth year, I will read. I'm in my third year, I will read. I will keep passing every single subject. I will not be satisfied with passing a subject I did not learn. That is, even though I pass it, if in my heart I feel like I didn't learn it properly, during the holiday after passing, I'll still go and read it again. Say, what I want here, this country, what is it holding for? They don't worry, boy. We're still in fourth year now. We still have fifth year. We still have law school. And then we have a year of serving the nation. Three years, and you already worry what will happen afterwards. And listen, you know what God does? If we follow Him like that faithfully, every time, before, look, you may be finishing that NYC today. Of course, by the time you are finishing that law school, He will have arranged where you will serve. You will say, where do you want to serve? Say, I don't have time to think about it. I've committed it to the Lord. He will arrange where you will serve, take you to where you will go. He may carry you to one primary school, or to one local government office, or to one law chamber, or they make you a personal assistant to a politician, whichever way. He will arrange it. Then you serve faithfully there for one year. Faithfully. Faithfully for a year. By the time you are doing passing out, he has decided where you are going next. That's how it works. But fellow who's walking by faith, you know the fellow because of the diligence of today. That's how, that's how you know the difference. But as for the guy swinging left and right on the bed, saying that others are relying on the arm of flesh, he's not walking by faith. Such a plan has no, such a person has no plan for tomorrow, but it's not faith. It's foolishness and laziness. So that, that's what we've been explaining. Okay? That faith, that we have in our hearts produces a culture for us outwardly. And the things that God is saying we should do can be a problem when we are in a society that has created its own standards and rules and wants to fit us into those rules and those standards. We have a duty to fight. Godliness is a fight. He said, exercise yourself unto godliness. Because godliness has profit. It's profitable unto all things. He has a promise for the life that now is and that which is to come. Let's open our Bibles. The book of Ephesians. We've been reading this again and again. If we don't arrange our cultures well, if we don't arrange the things we are doing properly, those blessings that God, the Lord has arranged for us in the realm of the Spirit will not come. They will not come. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read all the way to chapter 5 verse 13, starting from chapter 4 verse 17. But that's kind of long. So, how do we do this? How do we do this? Okay, let's just start reading. Like we've said many times, Paul explained the spiritual aspect to us. He did that from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 4, verse 16. 
And I said, these are the things you must lay in proper order if the blessings of God will become manifested. He says, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Please note that statement. Our walk must be different from that of the unbelievers. Gentiles here represent our society. Gentiles here represent the, the cultures we come out of. Gentiles represent whatever be has been our experience, how things are done around us. So there's a way they walk. It is based upon the futility of their mind. We are supposed to walk differently. They, he said in verse 18, are darkened in their understanding. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm in verse 18 now. They are excluded from the life of God. Now notice this. I want you to follow something I'm trying to bring out here. They are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and with greediness. Now, now, notice that practice, that practice. They are practicing something for certain reasons. He said, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have been, you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, former, the way the Gentiles used to walk, you lay aside, that is, how you used to do things, lay them aside, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the loss of deceit, and you, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Put on, remember, let's wear it. Let it be something that can be seen on you in your will, your manner of doing things. Now, we are going to come back to this. He said, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. He said, be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Do not steal. He said, he that steals, let him steal no longer. Sometimes there are cultures in our society, if you are in public office, People expect you to steal. That is, they may not use the word steal, but they expect it. He said, if you're a believer and you're in public office, make sure your culture is different. He said, let him who still steals no longer, but he said, he must labor, performing with his own hand what is good, so that he will have something to share. Verse 29 says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Then verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and standard be put away from you. 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. Now, I'm going somewhere, you see. Therefore, verse, um, verse 1, now chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named, can you see that, among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. That should occupy your time of talking. For this you know with certainty. This is where I was going. Now notice this. For this you know with certainty. Remember I said, I said notice the word practice. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, why did I read this? You know, I took time out to read it. I was saying something. 
that every blessing that God has planned and proposed for us, all right, will not come except certain outward things are put in place. I want to explain again briefly to believers that it is not true. It cannot possibly be true that because of grace, those things don't matter. That was why Paul took time out to write it. He said, know this with certainty. He said, verse 5, for this you know with certainty. No immoral or impure unbeliever or covetous sinner. Is that what he said? What did he say? Was that what he said? Answer me now. He didn't say unbeliever. You, you, are, not, you are not convinced. Was he referring to unbelievers or to persons? I think, you know why people are afraid to answer? Because somebody actually told them that that was referring to unbelievers. He didn't say that. He said no immoral or impure person or covetous man. So I'm not even going something here. Paul was writing to Christians and he chose the word person. He was saying to them, listen, and, and notice something. Let's read the next line. Okay? Where is it? Don't, let, don't be deceived. Yeah, verse 6. Now, look at what he said. He said, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Listen to me. Listen, he knew the t- generation will come. In fact, it already happened that time. When some people were going around explaining that, listen, once you've given your life to Christ, don't worry about those things. Even though you see in scriptures some consequences apply to people like Ananias and Sapphira. They say it's because they were not Christians. I'm saying to you again today, please don't believe those doctrines. They cannot possibly be true. They cannot possibly be true. He was saying it clearly here. He was explaining to Christians, this is what I'm telling you. He said, this is the reason why judgment comes upon people. This is the reason why problems will come in the lives of people. He said, for that reason, if you don't want to participate in the judgments, also keep away from their practices. Do you know why? Because God is just. That's what the people must understand. You cannot hide behind the fact that you claim to have believed. For that reason, you continue walking in unrighteousness and ungodliness, and everything goes well. It is not the gospel of Christ Jesus. Anybody preaching that will soon be punished by God. Because you are constituting yourself into a problem for God. Listen, there is no, listen to me. The only proof that God has, I taught this in the nature, it was last week we were there. The only proof that God has that what he did to Jesus Christ was right is when your life is changed. I don't know whether you get what I'm trying to say. Yes. It is the ability to change people that is the proof that God has for the whole creation to see that it was right for Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, to be sacrificed on that cross. The only thing that makes it reasonable is that the product is sin in that sinners are turned to saints. And the reason why God put this as here is so that this thing can be demonstrated in reality. So any Christian who is not getting away from the deeds of the world and building his or her life in godliness and holiness is frustrating the eternal purpose of God. And God will not take that lightly. Let me say something to you. God told the children of Israel at the time. He said, I'm taking you into a land. He said, that land is a good land. But the inhabitants are bad people. <laughs> you get my point. 
So I've kept them there to walk the land because one day I'm going to bring you in. He said, now why am I taking them out? It is not because of your righteousness. He said, I'm taking them out because of their wickedness. He said, now I am going to take them out different ways. Now, let me not go into that yet. But when God is taking people out, it doesn't look nice. Israel was told to exterminate people. Before they arrived, some of them, God will send, you know, bees, wasps, hornets, sting people and drive them away from their communities. Famine, trouble, wars will break out on them. And the Bible makes it clear it was God. He said the land was vomiting up the inhabitants thereof. Bear that in mind. So the people were going to be kicked out of the land where they had prospered for a long time. But God now told Israel, this is where I'm going to. He now said, now, when you get there, these are the practices of the people. You must not practice what the people practiced. He said, because when they practiced those things, the land became polluted. When the land became polluted, it vomited up the inhabitants thereof. I hope you are getting my point here. So he said that, he said, listen, if you practice those things, you know what will happen? The land will also vomit you up. I will also visit the iniquity upon you. He said these things were recorded for our learning. There is no faith that will produce any blessing for you if it does not change your practices in life. Are you getting my point here? Listen, mercy, grace, all right? They do not mean that we do anything we like and we'll still be blessed. If you're a sinner, you cannot give your way into abundance. Stop lying. You know, let me tell you the truth, eh? <laughs> what am I preaching like this today? I don't know. It's the word of God anyway. Let me tell you the truth, eh? Tomorrow is Sunday. You are going to go to church. See, today this is Saturday evening, have you? Tomorrow is Sunday. Most people here, apart from a few sinners, in quotes. <laughs> Most people will go to church tomorrow. I'm not trying to be, you know, be a critical man, but a matter of fact. And they are going to sit down, and a man is going to rise up hmm? and start telling them the power that their offerings have to change their lives. Let me warn you ahead of time. It's a lie. 99 out of 100, I'm telling you to be a lie. Now, you see where I'm going. The main reason why the fellow is saying that is not because he wants your life changed, because he needs money. And the only way he knows to get money is by telling you things that you want to hear. I am telling you, your life is not changing. Your faith is not changing your life. Your offering is not changing your life. If you cannot change, see it change the way you behave. I don't know whether you are getting my point here. If, listen, your offering is not working if it's not transforming your character. If you are as irresponsible and as hot-tempered as you have been, and you think it's one offering that will break through upon you, listen, Test the offering, whether it's working. Now you test it. Check whether your temper improves and your sense of responsibility improves over the next one month. If it doesn't, the offering is not working. It is not working. Oh my God, I hope people understand this. It is not working. Listen, almost everybody I know that preached that to you is because they wanted to give an offering. That's why they almost never tell you that now that I preach it, go out and go and give somewhere else. They need to collect it there. What am I saying? If your confidence... For prosperity has been the amount of money you have given as offering. Please forget that nonsense. Otherwise, the soul that sin it, it shall die and you'll be an example of the authority of that scripture. People want to continue working in iniquity. And they want to just give an offering and prosper. What 
nonsense? What nonsense? I've seen a man preach that, look, <laughs> you can give. <laughs> he said, if you're a drug dealer, you're a 419, you can give your way into salvation. And I was wondering, you must be a real moron of a pastor. Because, you see, if the guy needed salvation, why can't he repent into it? If he can believe you to give his way unto salvation, why can't he not just repent unto salvation? Which one is quicker to attain salvation? To repent or to give? You answer me now. But you know why the man wants to give his own to salvation? Because he does not want to repent. And have been deputized by God to tell you today, if you do not wish to repent, you will likewise perish. It's the word of God though. After, you know, I've said it before. I don't believe in rubbing people's back to serve God. I don't believe in it. Well, serve God. Don't break my heart. You know, it will hurt me my feelings if you don't give your life to Christ. <laughs> I, 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 I don't believe in it. Oh, I totally don't believe in it. I don't believe in it. If you want to serve the Lord, please get ready to serve the Lord. Let me get back to where I began from. All I've been doing is to explain to us that, listen, these blessings that we have, we, ha- we are blessed. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Oh, we are blessed. Somebody say Amen. amen. Oh, I totally believe in it. I believe Jesus died. Eh? Listen to me. Jesus died and um, first to free us from our sins. And when we're talking about freeing us from our sins, it's not just to wipe off what God wrote against us in heaven. No. It's to free us from the bondage. The compulsion. Are you getting my point? Yes. There are people that are in bondage. That compulsion to sin is death came to free us from it. The knowledge of the death of Jesus Christ, the appropriation of the power of his blood, breaks every, it breaks every bad habit out of our lives. It does that. It's not just about God's forgiveness. It's removing the bondage. If somebody really, truly gives his or her life to Christ, the compulsion to sin, that blood removes it. That is one. It does that. Jesus died to heal us of every and every single ailment. His death cures it. Jesus died, and as a result of his death, all right, his death bought for us long life. His death on the cross bought for us prosperity. It does. Or it did. Because of the death of Jesus. Listen, that is why, you know, I've said it many times. <laughs> I, I watch history a lot. If I, if I, tell me I, watch, if I, if I sit down in front of TV, my, I go to news, you know, documentaries. You know, these are the things I watch. I don't have time to go over it now. I haven't watched a lot of things. I just realized, as a matter of fact, you know these people they call Africans? You know the people they call Africans? Traditionally, that's originally, they were seriously under a terrible curse. The worst that was on the surface of the earth, it was kept on this continent. That's why they were backward. They were very, very backward. Very, very. When you watch them, every time, look, listen, every time they give them independence, you know what will start happening? They start fighting. If they didn't fight, somebody prayed for them. What did they happen in Nigeria? Independence was when? When the civil war broke out? The same decade. By 66, trouble don't start. It's not a white mass problem, it's a black mass problem. Please don't blame anybody. Go, go to Congo, they fought. Go to Uganda. They fought. Go to Tanzania. They fought. That's how they were fighting all over the place. 
He said, look, it's not the British. It's a curse. It was upon the people. Now, this is where I'm going. But guess what? Do you know? I don't wish for to be a citizen of any other country apart from this one. I'm, I'm already a citizen of heaven. For me, that covers everything. It is not an advantage that I have any other citizenship. It's not an advantage to me. You know the reason why? This one, that's why I'm talking the story. The death of Jesus on the cross actually, literally removed the curse that kept Africans down. The duty the church has... See, oh God, I don't want to start on that agenda now, on, on that area. You know what's going on in Nigeria today? You know what's going on in Nigeria today? It's a normal African thing that's going on, nothing strange. That is how it's supposed to be. We are supposed to kill our neighbors. That's not a joke. What is going on is normal. We are supposed to shoot our neighbor. One village will go wipe out another village, collect the ayam. <laughs> I'm telling you. And if a man with more guns and with cow comes, he kills the one with the yam and take. Listen, you are shouting. You know, people making noise. If Fulani has men, all this noise we are making. The people were doing it to themselves before those guys arrived. Why? That's just where we are. It's our nature. We are crazy and cursed people. That's not my emphasis. My emphasis is this. Jesus has brought it to an end. Somebody say amen if you believe it. That's my emphasis. The Lord Jesus brought it to an end. That's my emphasis. That is why I like the fact that I'm an African. I particularly like the fact that I have the duty. Now, this is where I'm going. We have the duty, all of us, to ensure that that truth is known and practiced in every corner. The emphasis today, practiced. We have a duty to ensure that that truth is known and practiced in every corner. That is why I have never in my life... I, I know, you know, I've, anyway, I've, Nigerians are known for it. Nigerians are known for their shoulders. Hmm? When they go to where many people are, white, black, yellow, green, purple, Nigerians don't care. They stand out. They, they, they are not afraid of you. And I can assure you, is the result of the gospel that has been preached here for a long time. It permitted the air. I don't feel inferior to anybody. I feel almost proud. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Whether you are white, yellow, black, I look at you, and if you are a sinner, I feel sorry for you. I'm not emphasized to us. Listen, as a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus died to remove the curse that kept people backward. That kept us behind. He died for it. That curse, uh, that death on the cross paid for it. And that is the reason why I'm very, very, in quote, proud. That is the reason why I don't feel inferior to anybody. And listen to me. That is the reason why Martin Luther King Jr. could have a dream. That dream he had. That's the reason why he could have it. And listen to what I'm saying. If they do not practice the terms of deliverance, if they do not practice the faith of Christ, which is the terms of the deliverance that he has brought, they will always return into bondage. When the white man now wants to keep them back down, like in a place like the U.S., he will give them the kind of freedom that Jesus did not give. And what that does ultimately is that it keeps people, it takes people back into bondage. Why was I talking about it? All right, Why did I begin, begin that matter? So I believe all of these things. 
I believe that my sins have been forgiven. I believe that it's not just wiping off the one that was committed, but the bondage, that is a more practical one, has been removed. I believe that sickness, every type is cured. With Jesus, there's no incurable sickness. I believe that totally. I believe in prosperity. I believe in it. I believe in long life. I believe that Jesus died to produce all of those things. But guess what? All those blessings are in the realm of the Spirit. And he's saying to us, these things that I'm teaching you in this series, that's a lot talking, not me now. Alright? You have to practice them if you want those blessings to come down to reality. Otherwise, they will keep hanging. So the person who comes to preach to you that says grace does, it, it makes what you do unnecessary or irrelevant is the fellow that's about to deny you of what Jesus died for. The fellow that tries to, that sits down and tries to explain to you that no matter what you do, your salvation is secure. Why is he trying to tell you that? That is the fellow that's actually trying to deny you of what Jesus died for. Because no matter how much faith you claim to have, as we can see here, except there is a discontinuation in your life of the practice of the Gentiles, and you start the culture of faith, the blessings will remain hanging. One offering cannot release it. I don't know why I just feel like saying that again. Well, I think I know why. Because every day people hear the opposite. Every day they hear the opposite. Every day they keep hearing the opposite. You are blessed. Somebody give me an amen. amen. In Christ Jesus, you are totally blessed. Give me another amen. amen. There is no doubt about it. You cannot pay for that blessing. You can't. You can't. It's not a result of your works. You can't. However, do you want it manifested? There is something to do about it. Paul said, seeing that we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God. It's only when we do that that the promises start manifesting until we do those things. So listen, that's why he said, that's why Jesus said it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Another thing to be added to you. What was he trying to say? Listen, listen. Is it not enough of coming every time to harass me? God bless me. God bless me. I've already blessed you. See, if I'm not seeing the blessing, that's the question you should be asking me. Why am I not seeing it? You know, the other day I was thinking about it. You know what David said? I've been young. And then? And then what? And then he now said what? I've never seen righteous forsaken or his seed beg bread. His children beg for bread. Now, I noticed something that David said there. He said, I was young. And now I'm old. Now, before, you know, I don't know about you. This is how I used to read it. I used to read that David was saying that I was a young man. Even when I was young, I did not see the righteous forsaken or the children beg bread. I became a middle-aged man. I did not see the righteous forsaken or the children beg bread. Now I'm old. All my life, I have never seen it. That's how I read it. I don't know about you. Last week, I meditated about it. I said, no, that was not what David said. David said, having observed life for a whole lifetime, from the time I was young till now I'm old, it took me to become old to realize that if indeed a man really walks in righteousness, God will never forsake him. When I was young, I saw a man walk in righteousness, he appeared like God forsook him. Middle age, I see a man that is not walking in righteousness and God remembered him. That is not walking in righteousness, God remembered him. But as an old man, I sat down and looked backwards. The man who claimed to walk in righteousness, there were things that God demanded of him, he refused to do them. And so it appeared as if he forsook him. His righteousness was not total. It took me a lifetime to realize it. That's what David was saying. 
He wasn't saying that when I was young, I saw it. When I'm middle age, when I was middle age, I saying, now I'm old, I'm still seeing it. No. He said, listen, I have considered it over a lifetime. I have put many things together. And I have realized that there are demands of righteousness, which if they follow, they will not be forsaken. That they will not be forsaken. Listen, I don't know why I feel like I emphasize this one to us again today. Listen, let nobody lie. It is a lie. That, that scripture was one I wanted to bring, bring out. He said, do, let no one deceive you with empty words. The words are empty and they are deceptive when they come to you and say, because of grace. Grace is so powerful. If Ananias and Sapphira were Christians, God would not have killed them. It's a lie. Long life, prosperity, Jesus paid for them. But can I show you of one thing? He warned them earlier. This deceptive way of walking, Ananias, is not good though. The man did not hear. God does not kill people at first offense. No, this mercy doesn't allow that. But when somebody refuses to change his or her ways, that's, you know, the Ananias matter, we happen to him. Safira matter, we happen to her. And grace doctrine cannot take that way. If you like, believe the grace from now to tomorrow, it won't change it. There is a call. That God is sending out. Listen, you know, people tell you that Nigeria, people go to church. I say it's not about church going. It's that church goes to them. Are you getting my point? This church they go to, does it enter their hearts? One of the things that annoy me in this life is when I watch TV or read the news, they now say Muslim North and Christian South. It annoys me. It downplays on the seriousness of Christianity. What makes the South Christian? What? See these people I see on the streets? You call them Christians? And that's why some of us play like morons. We join a camp and say, hey, the Muslims are, all, what is us in it? Idol worshippers? This part of us? Just because his first name is Jeremiah. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray, but let's stop praying like this kind of angry prayer. You know, when Christians pray sometimes, they just say, no, God can't answer. Listen to me. You see all those prayers? They say, they have declared prayer, prayer, prayer for five days, forward to everybody. I, as you as, it does, I never forward to anybody. I never. I, look, listen. I am proud to say it. You know, they will not put there, say, eh, some Christians will not forward this now. But if it's a joke, they will forward it. Yes, I always forward jokes because it makes people laugh. <laughs> and I know the jokes are not serious. So the person receiving it from me laughs and laughs, and that's all. But is that I forward prayer meeting to people I don't know, written, called by people that probably don't believe, people that analyze scripture, you look at them, people that open their mouths and tell me that Nigeria was not created by God, people that open their mouths and tell me that we need to pray, we need to pray that the head of state will leave office. Nonsense prayer point. And I will now join them to pray. No, I am not going to do that. People that don't recognize that Christianity is not the hereditary thing. They don't recognize it. You were baptized on the eighth day does not make you a Christian. You were confirmed at the age of twelve does not make you a Christian. You even answer one other call one day does not make you a Christian. I read my scriptures. Only two things make you a Christian. And they are the signs of true faith. One is repentance toward God. And two is discipleship. Always learning the ways of the Lord Jesus and hanging his cross on your head. Taking up your cross and following him. You have not done these two things. You are not a believer. You are joking. Come on, totally, you are joking. When I 
watch news today, they divide the country. Christian South and Muslim North. And Christians will gather and agree. I don't believe a word of it. Because the fact that you have the name Jeremiah, John, Sarah, um, Priscilla, you know, those are the Christians in the Bible. (laughs) It doesn't make you a believer. And it does not mean that God will defend you against his wrath when it comes upon the people. If you're around, I think it was on Tuesday, when our brother Okimote was leading prayer here, he talked about a brother he called, a young man who went to go and serve in Plato State. And he asked him, this crisis, how is it affecting? He went to serve there, he finished service, and he stayed behind that the Lord called him to preach the gospel. The Lord didn't call him to Joshua. The Lord called him inside. And one of those places was where, that is near where he was. He said, where this crisis occurred was the next local government to his own. It was rather close. So Kemute called him. 